Welcome back to the Present Fathers Podcast. In this episode, we interview one of our own, my co-host, Dustin Burnham. Dustin is our token Florida man, but on top of that, he is a proud husband and father to his young son. Dustin's upbringing was unique, to say the least, quite different than most. He grew up without a dad, and the details are very strange around that. Um, We'll get into the episode and the details, but what really mattered is that he struggled in many ways because he didn't have this influence in his life. In this episode, we dive headfirst into Dustin's stories, and we extract valuable lessons from his experience on becoming a man as well as fatherhood. Dustin is one of the most honest, genuine, and positive people I have ever known in my life. I'm truly honored to call him one of my closest friends, and I'm excited and privileged to present to you Dustin Burnham. Dustin, welcome to the Present Fathers Podcast. It's great to have you as a guest finally. Thank you, guys. This means so much. Uh, this you know, is your I've been, first time ever, right? Yeah, I've been begging you for months <laughs> to let me on the Super podcast. Super cool, dude. And uh, yeah. you, know, you really were resistant at first because I'm not that interesting, but you finally said, all right, we'll, we'll reconsider. So yeah, we, I, caved, that, we caved. Well, uh, it was a also, generous It's also because you have like 100 pounds on me and threatened to crush me, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I will crush you if you don't let me talk on the yeah. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now, in all seriousness, we are continuing our uh, kind of trend here where we're interviewing ourselves to share our stories. And so today is Dustin. Um, Before we start, Dustin, I just want to say that uh, you are an awesome member of the podcast. We all love you. And you have such a a huge laugh and just this boisterous personality that's very infectious. And uh, you're a good yin to my yang because I'm very like serious all the time and you help lighten me up and stuff. So (laughs) I appreciate having you as a close friend and I'm very excited to highlight you and let you share your story. And I think um, just prefacing for the audience here, Dustin's story, I think, is something that a lot of guys across the country can relate to, um, you know, not having an engaged father in your life and, and the, the struggles that that can create growing up. And so even if you had a good father, this is, raises awareness for you to maybe have some empathy for, for people, you know, who had this upbringing. So anyway, without further ado, Dustin, let's uh, start. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about your family first, and then we'll kind of go back into childhood and, and get going from there. Great. Yeah. So I think I was the only child uh, among all of you guys. Um, You all had uh, brothers and um, uh, I did not. So it was interesting growing up uh, with just my mom and I. Um, I had lots of cousins and friends and other people around. But as far as the primary family unit, uh, it was just the two of us. So we were extremely close. I still consider my mom uh, one of my best friends. And um, it was uh, a really crucial part of my life. Um, She's kind of an interesting person because I guess it was more common back then, but now not as many women structure their lives around their children. And my mom 100% did all the decisions uh, she made were with me in mind, you know, considering my welfare. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm the person that I am because I had that, that experience with her. Um, So, you know, my father was not around and some of that may have been, you know, some compensation. Um, he he was married to another woman, so I, I never I, I met my father a few times and spent some time with him. I talked to him on the phone, but he was never a part of the um, of the household. It was always just my mom and I. Uh, and in fact, uh, when my mom got pregnant, um, she left the state that she was living in and moved to Florida. Uh, I think she was young, maybe concerned about judgment from her parents, and so uh, she wanted to get away from it. And uh, probably to get away from him, <laughs> maybe some of that going on. And so she took off and um, I ended up growing up in Florida. And very quickly, that relationship was mended. Uh, I was the only uh, grandchild. Um, all my other cousins are quite a bit younger. So I think my grandfather, who I'm extremely close with now, 
recognized that he didn't want to lose that relationship uh, with me. And so um, he and my grandmother quickly repaired that relationship. And uh, I've been very close to them since then. Um, so uh, I was born uh, at the same hospital where I did my first anesthesia rotation. So that was really interesting. So uh, Morton Plant Hospital in, uh, in Tampa, Florida. So when I rotated there 30, 31 years later, I got to meet my obstetrician. That was really cool. I got to chat with him and say, Hey, thanks that's for a small world, man. Isn't that weird? Yeah. <laughs> so I said, thanks for pulling me out of my mom. You know, that's, that's strong work. <laughs> uh, so that, that was a really interesting. Did it. Let's calm down. Well, that's fair. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. exactly. Uh, if he hears this, I hope he doesn't kill me. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, well, I think he's retired by now, but okay. uh, yeah. So, um, Growing up as a, a Florida boy, I love the beach. Uh, I'm probably going to have uh, skin cancer when I'm older because I never wore any sunblock when I was a kid. I was on the beach 12 hours a day. Um, I'm, I'm a little paler now, but I was very dark as a young boy. I think most people thought I was a different race um, because I just got so much sun all the time. I was constantly playing on the beach. I was outside. Um, I would spend time indoors. I liked reading and, uh, and things like that, but uh, my most of my time was spent outdoors. I absolutely loved it. And I had a mother who, again, she did work. Um, but because my grandfather helped her and, uh, my father was very good about uh, helping us out financially. Um, so she didn't have to work full time. And so I think that that's why my childhood, um, uh, coming from a single parent household was so different from how, uh, most, most households are because the financial component is a key part of being a father. It's not the only thing. A lot of us as dads go, well, I go to work, so I don't have to do anything else. That's not true. <laughs> You've got a lot more that you have to do. Uh, but he did take care of that financial aspect. So I was able to live in a home. Uh, I had a stable home from age five until 18. Uh, I, my mom only had to work, you know, 10 to 20 hours a week, um, which, I mean, considering how engaged she was, is probably a lot more time that I got than most stay-at-home moms. I mean, she seriously was, I can't say enough about what an amazing engaged mother she was. And uh, I don't even think it was something she did on purpose. It just, a lot of that really came naturally to her. So, um, you know, she would read to me two, three hours a day. And to this day, I'm a very verbal person and I can thank her for that. It, uh, you know, it really makes a difference. And, and just one parent, can't make up for both, but she did her best and she did a really great job. So mom, thank you <laughs> for everything yeah. you did on that end. Um, so I'm, still, I'll, I'll... I'm trying to figure out like how you're so big. Cause your mom is probably one of the smallest people I've ever met in my life. <laughs> my mom, few, is... few people on this earth make me feel like a giant. And I definitely felt close to that meeting her for the first time. But my mom is uh, <laughs> five foot three and about a hundred pounds soaking wet. Uh, one of her favorite expressions, you're is like six, four, six, four, two twenty. Yep. So one of her favorite expressions is I can't believe you came out of me. <laughs> yeah. That's gotta be a time. little bit weird. <laughs> yeah. All right. That'll be for a mom's podcast. Well, let's get back to. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm just yeah. Teasing. Um, um, so at what age did you figure out like the whole situation or in, in terms of like the fact that, you know, your parents weren't married and. You know, that that was different. Was kind of the other woman, and you know, it's a very different situation that most people don't have that experience. So, yeah. Like, when so, did you find out, and how did that change the way you viewed like what family meant or any of that kind of stuff? So, my mom kind of gradually gave me more and more information. Um, something that I can thank her for. That again, we, you know, we talked about um, the emotional incest situation. Uh, we didn't have that. She did an incredible job 
I've never heard a bad thing about my father in the 40 years that I've been alive. Uh, That's good. Nothing but positive. Um, you know, he, he wasn't able to be around, but we're going to do everything we can to spend time with him. And he's a great man. Uh, and that makes a difference when you're 10, you know, yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of parents divorced, not together, you know, they have really tough relationships or maybe the dad was kind of a bad dude. <laughs> you know, So the mom says, yeah, your, right. your dad's in jail. You know, he wasn't that great of a guy. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what those moms, that's a tough situation, how much honesty to portray. In my case, uh, my mom was nothing but positive, you know, about my father. And so, uh, I would talk to him on the phone. I would see him during the summers. I would spend a day or two with him. Um, so I knew who he was. I was familiar with him and it's funny. He's only five foot nine. He's not a very large man either. So I don't know where I look exactly like him. I'm definitely his kid. That's <laughs> but strange. He's like a miniature version of me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know how that how that transpired. Uh, I must have a very tall uncle, you know, somewhere, uh, back, back in the jeans. Um, yeah. but he, uh, great guy works or worked. He died a couple of years ago, uh, probably 90 hours a week, just nonstop, oh. like 6am to like 9pm, like every day. And, uh, you know, I, I never had the opportunity to really get him to open up to me. We, uh, most of our conversations were surface, you know, type stuff. And, uh, I don't know if he just really loved his work. He had his own business and he was just really passionate about it. Um, or if maybe he didn't like his family that much and he was avoiding that. I, I really don't know the answer to that. Um, and I haven't met that side of my family. I may at some point, um, but they're much older than me. My dad is uh, was 30 years older than my mom. So all my wow. half brothers and uh, sisters, I, I don't know exactly what's on the side of the family. They're in their, I think, 60s. So they're, they're quite a bit older. Um, yeah. So they'd be more like uncles and aunts, I think. Right. But, uh, so I, I had enough of a relationship with him to know that he was a hard worker. He's a good person. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for him. He made a lot of great decisions in his life. And that, um, that means a lot, you know, again, for a young boy seeing that and knowing, okay, you know, my dad's not a deadbeat. He has other stuff going on. I think the whole concept of like your mom's not married to your dad, uh, all that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, was probably like schoolyard bully stuff where I kind of learned the relevance of that. When I was eight or nine, I had a lot of kids that called me a bastard, um, you know, that really like harped on that and kind of, um, use that as an opportunity to, you know, try to hurt me. And, um, you know, at the Did time, it? I don't think it bothered me that much. It's hard to okay. say. I don't, I really, that, of all the things that bothered me from school, from being bullied, that wasn't it. <laughs> you know, I okay. think, um, thankfully I grew up in a time where it wasn't quite that big of a deal. I had a lot of friends, you know, who also had single parents. And I genuinely don't believe that I attached a lot of my um, value as a person and meaning to a father being around. And maybe that was a coping mechanism to some extent saying, well, I don't have this. So I'm not going to yeah. value it all that much. Uh, mm. And I definitely, I think I went through a period uh, where I was concerned that I didn't have a great uh, model for what uh, a great marriage should be like. And so yeah. maybe marriage wasn't for me, you know, maybe um, uh, that wasn't the kind of thing that I wanted to do, but I, I had great relationships with women. Uh, I, I had healthy long-term relationships and I knew that that's something that I wanted eventually was to get married. And then when I met Kim, I realized, okay, yeah, I definitely want to have kids. She's, she's a great mom. This is, or she will be a great mom. This is someone I want to be, um, okay. I want to be with. Well, and I, Let's jump into that then. So, how yeah. you know, graduate all that kind of stuff. When did you meet Kim? <clears throat> how'd that go? You know, how how'd you guys start dating and all that? And let's let's get to that point in your life. Hey there. 
We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Present Fathers Podcast. Our mission is to reach as many men as possible and equip them to be excellent family leaders. We believe that by inspiring and equipping men, we can change bloodlines and positively impact our culture. You can join us on this mission and partner with us today by doing one of two things. First, go to your favorite podcast platform, whether that's YouTube videos or Apple or Spotify, Google, etc., and leave us a review. The way the algorithm works is that it really values reviews, and this helps promote our stories to get them out to more people. The second way you can help is by sharing your favorite episodes with friends and family. Help us get the word out so that we can make a difference in our culture. Thank you for watching, and we hope that you join us in our mission to change lives. Yeah, so I went to uh, went to school in Chapel Hill. I talk about the Tar Heels all the time. I, I love those guys. Um, and Kim's a uh, uh, she went to Georgia Tech, so she's a bumblebee. <laughs> and so we have that uh, ACC uh, rivalry going on. Um, I was a personal trainer for ten years before I started doing anesthesia, and I absolutely loved it. I took um, I think twenty five different certifications and all kinds of lifestyle coaching, fitness yoga, tennis, everything you can imagine. I was just wanted to soak it up. I loved fitness. I lived at the gym. That's, that's all I did was, uh, um, you know, focus on that stuff. Uh, when I hit my, I had this big goal of the 300, 400, 500. So three, four, five, 300 bench, 400, uh, squat, 500 deadlift. And it was actually, uh, after I met Kim and she got me on a better diet and upped my calories by about 2000 a day. I was probably eating about 1,500, 2,000 calories, not even close to enough, and jumped up to about, I was broke, man. <laughs> calories are expensive. <laughs> and so jumped it up to about 4,000 calories a day. And uh, imagine, you know, I got a lot stronger very quickly. Yeah, go so. figure. You double your calorie count. You can put on muscle. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Especially so. with your 6'4 frame. Yeah. Or si- yeah. Are, are you 6'4? I don't want to misquote your height here. Yeah, about 6'4. Yeah, yeah, just a, t- a little bit taller than Justin. Real short Brandon. little but guy. Who's counting? There. You know, yeah. I mean, not that much taller. Just, just like a, just enough. <laughs> I can hit a punching bag. <laughs> See, he's got to take it there. Why has he got to do that? <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll pause on that. We'll get to that later yeah. about yeah. things and, you didn't learn. But right. uh, okay, well, let's <laughs> keep going. Keep going about meeting Kim and, and uh, as your relationship grew. And so uh, one of the last fitness certifications I took was my CrossFit certification. Um, I was really early to CrossFit. I got my L1. I met some really famous people like the inventor of the kipping pull-up, all kinds of – it was an incredible experience. Uh, But I wasn't very good at jumping rope. And so for CrossFitters, they have to be great at double unders, which is where you uh, have the rope go under your feet twice. Um, And so I walked outside. I was actually planning to jump rope. And it's the middle of winter and I see this person. I, I didn't know what she looked like um, from, from behind, uh, although she did have a nice behind. So that was, <laughs> there was that element to it, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Love at first sight. <laughs> yeah. The most romantic tale of all tales. <laughs> I hate to see you go, but I love to watch you leave. <laughs> so anyway, well I walk outside and um, I see this person just crushing double unders, just through, 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 you know, 30, 40, 50 at a time, no problem. Not and him, I hear this, no. tss, 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 you know, just like intense, like death metal music, you know, coming out of her headphones. And I mean, now I, I think they'd call me a crazy person for tapping someone on the shoulder, right? Who had headphones on to talk to her. Um, but it was a little, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you could do that without, you know, getting assault charges <laughs> so tap her without on the shoulder them, without them remote filming you and putting it on tiktok and calling you a stalker and yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then joy swole going it's after like the world's him. insane now it's really right, it's so you tap tough. her on the shoulder 
yeah, I tap her on the shoulder and uh, she turns around and says, you know, hey, what do you want? And I said, hey, you're really good at jumping rope. Can I uh, can I jump rope with you? <laughs> she, said, she actually said that she said it's a big sidewalk. Go for it. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, this is, you know, this is a terrible start, but, I'll, you know, whatever. So she's teaching me. We spend about half an hour. Clearly crazy chemistry. Like from the moment I met her, I was like, this is a different kind of person. Like there's this magic that some people have. I don't know if you've experienced this with your wives when you met them, but it was not, I mean, she's a beautiful woman, but it wasn't a visual thing and it wasn't her voice. It was the chemistry. Like I, like I had this raw animal attraction to this woman that I've never had to any other person. It was literally like, God was like, yep, here she is. This is your girl. I'm going to make this real easy for you. We're going to fill you up with all the pheromones and you're not gonna be able to resist her. And it hasn't changed. You ordained it because of that <laughs> pickup line. I had no chance, Man. right? Yeah, it's terrible. You it's... limped in there. <laughs> But I made the intro. That's what counts. And so you did. You did have the courage to at least tap her on the shoulder. That's yeah. yeah. Well done. And so no guts, uh, no glory. It clearly right. worked out. It did. Yeah. And so uh, I got her email address because I didn't even have the balls to like ask her for a number. I was like, "Can I get your email?" All right. Was it a <laughs> dot yahoo dot gmail? Like which which one was it at? She gave me the Gmail address, so I knew it was okay, probably more right. legit. Just, that was a good. I know you guys are a little bit older than me, just a, a smidge. <laughs> so I wanted to check that it wasn't like Hotmail or something. So then I my had to roast uh, my first email address for like ten years was the big bomb at uh, at aol dot com. <laughs> <laughs> Man, and so I actually went to job. I feel interviews. like there's gonna be a lot of people listening to this who have no idea what aol is. Oh yeah, no That's, clue. Right, this is Boomerland back in the day when. Yeah. <laughs> Dial-up yeah, internet. Yep. Yep. Okay, so yeah. got her email, oh, not even her number. On that. So <laughs> how how long between this exchange of she gave you her email, nice, um, that things actually nice. progressed? <laughs> it was about six months. We took it really slowly. I, I think a lot of my relationships in the past uh, had kind of started with sexuality and, and then kind of we tried to become friends and all that kind of stuff later. Um, I think this was one of the first times that I had a serious relationship with someone that started as a friendship and I was dating someone else at the time, long distance. And so it was a, uh, you know, I, I kind of knew that I was interested in Kim, but I also knew that, uh, you know, I was still dating someone that was, you know, kind of at the tail end of that relationship. So I needed to, uh, you know, uh, play it cool, be good, all that kind of stuff. Wrap that up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so we were friends for a long time, you know, probably about six months and then, uh, um, I realized, you know, what am I doing? This, I'm, I'm you know, I, I need to, I need to end what I'm doing now and, and, uh, you know, uh, went that direction. So, uh, when I finally told her, Hey, you know, I'm crazy about you. Uh, I, I love being your friend, but I don't know. I don't know if I can anymore. Like you're, it's just driving me insane. <laughs> you're beautiful. You're amazing. You know, we have to, <laughs> we have to try this out. And she said, Oh, thank God. And we hugged each other for the first time. And I felt like a bolt of lightning struck both of us. It was the most intense hug that any person has ever experienced in history. <laughs> it was like six months of just like pent up, you know, and, yeah. <laughs> and she laughed and said, all right, you got to go. <laughs> I said, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, there's chemistry is a, a special thing. It's really, it's really cool. That's awesome. How long did you guys date before uh, you proposed? We dated for about a year. Okay. Uh, we, um, uh, had an oops baby uh, that we that we lost, um, and so that was probably about six, three to six months into dating, and so that that kind of sped up the timeline a little bit. Uh, we ended up um, kind of saying, okay, you know, 
I think she was really concerned that I was going to. How gonna, old were you guys at this time? Old enough to know better. <laughs> I think <laughs> okay. I, was thir- I was 31 at the time. Okay. And, uh, or maybe 29, but, but old enough to, you know, know that, um, what do they call, uh, people who use the uh, pull out method as a method of contraception? They call them Cat parents. Champion. They oh, call okay. them parents. <laughs> I've got exactly work, right? one child. So. Okay, well, then, because you, okay, so you guys are better at this than I am. Yeah. Um, either that or my sperm are faster swimmers. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. I got the Michael Phelps of. Uh, I was going to say Michael Phelps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so we, I think we were about 15 weeks along when, uh, when Kim had a miscarriage. So that was, uh, that was a really tough, that was a tough time. Um, we were excited and, and I wanted her to know, you know, I think she was initially concerned. We'd only been dating like six months, you know, once I tell him that I'm pregnant, maybe he's going to run away, you know, that kind of thing. And so I wanted to go over the top and let her know that's not my intention. Um, you know, I'd love to have this baby. Uh, I want to be with you. And, um, you know, I told my whole family about it, all that kind of stuff, which, you know, made it all the more painful when we did lose the, lose the baby yeah. because, um, you know, we told everybody, you're kind of supposed to wait a little bit just to make sure it's viable and all right. that. And we kind of didn't have that luxury. Um, and in fact, do you mind, when, I was oh, saying, do you mind sharing a little bit about, cause it's actually something we haven't really talked yet much on the podcast is, uh, miscarriages and, uh, yeah. it happens a lot. It's, I think it hits men and women very differently. And I, I know for mothers, it's, there's a, a lot of, almost like feeling like they, they are a failure somehow. Like they, you know, it, it's very, very, it's, it's not just a sad thing because it's a sad thing. It's like very in, intertwined. So can you talk about like how, how that went with you guys and if you're willing to share some of that? I think how, the, how like you guys got through it. Yeah. I, I think one of the good things about it was I, I think I actually handled that pretty well and letting her know that, uh, you know, it wasn't her fault. Um, you know, I think it brought us closer together in a lot of ways versus, you know, some people, it kind of tears them apart when that, when that kind of thing happens. Um, the, the challenge with it was she had a lot of those experiences, you know, this, did I do something wrong? Is my body not good enough? You know, all these kind of irrational things that go through our heads. And I had some of those experiences as well. I went from, I just, I'm having a baby with, a you know, someone I'm not married to, uh, you know, this wasn't quite how I planned it. I, 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 really into her and I hope that we can get married eventually, but you know, I'm not quite ready to yet. And so, um, although who knows, we might've done a shotgun wedding if, uh, <laughs> you know, if, uh, we'll never know kind of how that would have yeah. gone down. Um, but regardless, I, I think I did enough of the right things to show her that I was into the relationship, into her and that I was serious about it being a good father and, and being someone that would provide for her. And I, I think for dads, who are in that situation, you know, a lot of young fathers who are concerned, you know, I don't want to be tied down. I'm too young or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, if you can show that you are a decent human being, that you're willing to sacrifice and do what's necessary to be a good father and to provide, I think the vast majority of women will respond to that and, and will really, you know, appreciate that. And so, um, it, it was a really painful experience. I was so excited, you know, every week I was thinking more about it and, you know, kind of planning all that. And so <clears throat> when I got that call, you know, cause we, um, it was the type of, uh, it was one where, uh, the, the miscarriage didn't happen naturally. So, uh, the baby, 
um, the heart didn't develop fully. And so the, the baby was still dead, um, in, inside of, uh, Kim's body. And so she had to have a procedure to have it removed and all that. And, uh, I think that, that made it even harder for her because, you know, you're carrying what feels like a baby, but it's not alive. And it, you know, there was, so there was a lot to go through. And, um, you know, I think we still carry some challenges. You know, we talk about that as our angel baby and, yeah. and all that. Um, was but, there counseling for that? Did y'all do counseling of any kind for the trauma? You know, we, we need to, that's, that's definitely something to do in the future. Cause it's never too late, you know, to do some counseling. Um, Kim's not huge on formal counseling, but I'm working on her. We're, <laughs> we're getting there to where, you know, she'll, she'll be a little more into it. Um, but we talked about it quite a bit and I don't think it's a, an active wound, you know, anymore as, as far as that goes. But, uh, yeah, no, that is, that's a good reminder. That's something that, you know, we do need to continue processing and talking about because you never really a hundred percent get over that. You know, you just heal yeah, as best yeah, you can. No, that's not a wound that just heals. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks. Thanks for being, you know, candid about that, uh, very painful experience. And I'm yeah. sorry that that happened to you guys. Um, I guess just any, any final piece of advice, maybe that you wanted to just drive home on, you know, first time parents expecting that if this happens to them, um, you know, if you could do it over again, maybe something you would have done differently or do it all the same. What would that yeah, be? Yeah. I just know that it's very common. My grandmother told me about it. She has five kids. Uh, and her first, uh, was lost to a miscarriage. And so talking to her about it really helped. So, um, the numbers, I, I'm going to misquote this. I think it's like 30, 20, 30, 40%, somewhere in that range of first, uh, babies are miscarriages it's an incredibly high number. So you're not alone. Um, you know, if it does happen to you, there's nothing wrong with your body. Um, it's just a very common thing for first time moms, you know, for that first one, not to, not to make it through. And I think back in the day, people just didn't know, you know, but now that we have blood tests and all this, and now you go, okay, well, you know, the moment you're pregnant essentially. So it, it just becomes harder at that point because we do know so early. Um, so yeah. know that you're not alone and, um, and talk about it. And, you know, it, it's normal to feel really terrible about it. You know, it's a baby that, that didn't make it. So it's, it's okay to, you know, feel sad about it and to, to wallow in some tears and have a terrible couple of months. Like I did, um, it, you know, it's okay. <laughs> I've forgiven myself yeah. for it. And I ate a lot of ice cream. I definitely ate my feelings <laughs> at that time. You didn't have me around to tell you put the cookie down. Yeah, put the cookie down. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But uh, in all seriousness, I mean, yeah, any kind of grief is grief, right? Whatever the event and, um, you know, talking about it and and having people around you that kind of understand what you're going through is is always a very helpful thing. So um, whatever the event is, that's that's usually an important first step. And sometimes it's just like, uh, you know, like Mason Sawyer said, right? It's just, hey, I'll just sit here with you no advice, no nothing. They're just there with you, but that, that can help a lot too. So, um, again, appreciate you being vulnerable about that, man. And, um, for your advice through your experience there, um, obviously this was a very shaping moment for both of you. So how did things progress from, you know, the initial grief stage of that? And then kind of, like you said, it was a little bit of a accelerated your timeline in terms of looking at marriage. How, How did things progress from here? So, yeah, so we moved in together and, uh, after we lost the baby, I think Kim was again concerned. Oh, you know, you have these crazy ideas. Maybe he's just living with me and dating me because we're going to have the baby and now he's going to leave me. And so we had these moments where I really did my best to let her know that there's nothing wrong with her, that there was something wrong with me and that we were going to have a great relationship. And eventually we would have kids. And, um, I was here for her and not just because of the baby and all that. So, uh, 
I think once we got that out of the way and I did a great job of explaining to her that that was, that was the case and I genuinely let her know that's how I felt, which is easy to do when you genuinely feel that way. <laughs> you know, I was more attracted to her than ever. I, I don't know if you guys have had that experience. When my wife was pregnant, that's the most attracted to her that I've ever been in my life. I thought I was 16 again. It was bad. There's <laughs> just, just something about like that life in, in your life and your wife. <laughs> I agree yeah, with that I mean, statement. It's, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to try and explain to someone who's never experienced it. Right. It, yeah. It's, it's a very, very, very unique experience for, for both the husband and, or the, the father and the mother, right? Like, yeah, it's all the excitement and everything. Yeah. There's just all this intangible things going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, it's I, beautiful. Go I'm ahead. really curious about something. Um, so what time was when did I come into the picture in this time frame? I'm trying to remember. Because... Yeah, so I was living with uh, with Josh at the time, and we were in that apartment. And so oh, I don't remember. I don't think I ever told you about the miscarriage or anything. I just, you know, I, no. I was, kinda... was going to say you left that little. Yeah, out, yeah. You know, I, I wasn't. It wasn't really something I was comfortable sharing. I was a really not a good sharer. And I'm still struggle with that to some extent. I think a lot of that comes Obviously. from, that's, <laughs> yeah, I am sorry. Yeah. But I, I think a lot of that comes from being an only child, um, growing up with a secret that I can't tell anyone. You can't tell mm. people who your dad is all this kind of yeah. stuff. I think when you, when you grow up where like a potentially kind of important part of your life has to stay a secret, you get really good at keeping secrets and you kind of enjoy it. You're like, Oh, this is my secret. I'm not going to tell people. And so, uh, that's something I've had to unlearn is to just let it go and just, you know, if, yeah. if there's something potentially painful or uncomfortable, just let it out and have that conversation. It's going to suck for a minute and then it's going to be okay. You know, yeah. but, uh, I, I think that that was a bad habit if, you know, I, I don't know if that's a common situation with, um, you know, people with single moms, but I, I definitely, uh, kept too many secrets for many years. And I, a lot of, you know, I appreciate you guys for helping me open up and just talk about stuff and, you know, just be vulnerable and be honest because it's so much easier that mental and emotional energy that it takes to keep those secrets and hide your demons yep. is exhausting. It's, it's energy you could be using to talk about cool stuff or read books or, yep. you know, create. And I was using that to keep secrets and, and remember who I told that it was a nightmare. So I, you know, I, I don't, I don't uh, do that nearly as much anymore. Well, they eat you up physically, right? So, uh, you know, uh, past traumas do that. They, ha they have a tendency to just stick with you. And especially if you don't, you know, um, go after acceptance with it, right? You don't, you don't go after it and try to heal it. Um, so with that said, what were some of the things growing up that you dealt with um, from ha not having your, your dad in the picture that you knew like when you were having Lucas that you wanted to prevent, like you wanted to make sure like what generational kind of curses or um, generational things that were passed down to you that dealt you blows in your life that you don't want Lucas to have, like what were some of those things that, that you experienced? So this is a simple one. I never learned how to fix anything. <laughs> I had this idea in my head when I was younger and we talked about this a little bit on, um, the, the dad, how do I episode? Yeah. I had this idea in my head again, a compensation thing. I'm going to work hard and I'm really good at math and science and I'm very smart and I'm going to get a great job and I'm going to make a lot of money. And if anything breaks, I'm going to pay a handyman. That was my plan. And it's mostly worked. I still kind of do that, <laughs> but that's terrible. Right. I mean, that's not how 
That's not how men are supposed to operate. You know, when you hire someone to do something for you, you should do it to, um, you know, so that you can do something else valuable, not because you don't know how to do it. Uh, you know, I genuinely believe that we should try our best to mostly be as self-sufficient as possible. Obviously, I depend on, you know, other people for food and other things, you know, to sort of say, I mean, no man is an island, of course, but as far as basic stuff around your house, being able to fix things, all that, you never know, maybe it's going to be a month before the handyman can show up and I need to know how to plunge a toilet, how to change a tire, you know, all, all that kind of basic stuff. And that, you know, for better or worse is, is usually a dad's role. And so my goal is to plug some of the holes in the, that skill set and make sure that I'm good enough at those things to teach my son. And I don't have to be great at it. I just have to be better than a nine-year-old, uh, which he's a pretty smart kid. So that might be asking a lot. <laughs> I think it's going to be around 11 or 12. And he loves tools. He loves, um, and that's another thing. And George, you've mentioned this before. If you're not good at something, find someone who is. And so uh, Kim's father is incredible with his hands. He's currently rebuilding an old World War II Jeep from the 1940s. Uh, he's just this incredible mechanic. Um, he can fix anything. He's basically the opposite of me in a lot of ways, which is really cool because I, you know I, I get to learn these things from him, and and more importantly, so does Lucas. So you know, once That's or twice a you week, can, like, you can find common ground too. Like three generations worth now can do something together, and you know, yes, exactly, build and those my, memories together, big time. And I get to learn, and I get to pretend that I know how to do this stuff when he's teaching Lucas, and I have no idea. <laughs> so we're both learning together, and that's. That's a really beautiful thing. So Brandon, that's what I would say is uh, those basic skills. I have men in my network that can that can help teach me and potentially just teach Lucas directly if necessary. And uh, I'm also going to upskill myself and make sure that I learn how to do. And I do know how to change a tire and I, I know some basic things now, but uh, I, I'd like to learn a lot more along those lines. And that's, that's a healing process, right? Is <clears throat> knowing that yeah. I didn't pass along that, that inability because it is, it's a source of shame when all your friends, you know, are able to fix things or do certain things and you can't, you need to learn how to do that, you know? And I can't obviously just blame not having a dad for that. Some of that was me just not wanting to deal with it because I wanted to read a book or do something else. So <laughs> you know, that's definitely a big part of it as well. Oh, well, you saying something about healing process, maybe uh, think of a question. So, um, you know, kind of going back to, to you and Kim, um, losing your first baby, what was the healing process that you guys kind of practiced together? Was there anything specific that you guys did or was that kind of just a deal with it on a day-to-day -day basis? Like how did that go? We were really patient with each other. Um, I think we both knew that it would be hard going into it and I didn't put any expectations on her. Um, I didn't uh, demand, Hey, you're being crazy. You know, you need to just be fine tomorrow. You know, what's, what's wrong with this? Um, I understood that, there were going to be days where she didn't really want to be touched. She just kind of felt like she needed to be alone for a little bit. And I did my best to be supportive uh, and not get angry about that. And I think that is one benefit of being a little bit older. You know, I think if we'd been 18 when that happened, I don't know if I would have understood that as well or had the emotional maturity uh, to handle that. And so I'm very glad that we did meet when we we're a little bit older because with some of the challenges we went through, like her cancer and that kind of stuff, uh, I think as a younger man, I would not have handled it as gracefully. And so uh, I'm very glad that it worked out the way that it did. I think uh, I met the right person, but I also met her at the right time. That was really key. So I was, uh, we were patient with each other. Um, 
you know, there was no demands like, oh, we need to try to have another baby immediately and that kind of stuff. And also we were getting married soon. You know, we got engaged a little bit after that. And so that was a nice distraction. Like, you know, we're going to start this new life together and neither of us have been, you know, in that kind of situation before. And so that was a lot to look forward to and a lot to be excited about. So that, that helped quite a bit in the healing process, Justin. Yeah, that's a... You know, that's a great idea too, is just to find something positive to start building towards in your case, the engagement. So you guys get married, um, have a lot here to cover pretty quickly because between your wife having cancer, that's a big topic or soon to be wife having cancer, mm -hmm. um, and then starting your family. So I don't know where you want to start with that, but you guys get married and, and then what, like, let's, uh, let's so go to some of those topics if you're willing to share. Yeah. So, uh, I was finishing, uh, my last couple classes, uh, to go to anesthesia school while I was a personal trainer and we'd set the date about a year and a half in advance. Georgia's crazy. Some of the, um, venues require you to book like six years in advance. So these girls will seriously like, put down like a $5,000 deposit. They don't even have a boyfriend. They're just like, all right, it's 2023. I'm going to be married by 2029. Let's book that frost chapel five years in advance. <laughs> so, can you imagine going on a first date with a girl? She's like, I swear he's not lying. <laughs> all right. I got our venue like booked. A month before. Hey, we're dating. Uh, just so you know, we have to get married a month from now. Yeah, exactly. First uh, date. This is an impossible venue to get. And we have to make it happen. Yeah, I feel like so, there's a country song about all those Buckhead girls, man. <laughs> <laughs> the Buckhead Bettys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so uh, we uh, we booked this beautiful, I mean, picturesque, we had a dream wedding. It was unbelievable. You know, that would, I'll never forget that day. It was just, it was really special. And, uh, and I'm glad you were there, Justin. That was, that was really cool to, um, yeah, know, man. to see you guys. Yeah. It's honored to be and, there. And yeah, absolutely. So the, um, the marriage happened. And then because I, I didn't know that I was going to get an anesthesia school and the start date on it, <laughs> school started two days later. So drove down to Florida for orientation. Um, flew back one way ticket to Georgia, got married, and then <laughs> flew back. It was uh, it was a really hectic um, orientation. So I probably didn't. My first like week of school, I wasn't all there. I kind of needed a minute to get into that, you know, kind of study mode. And so we just gotten married. Um, she's living in Georgia for a couple months. Um, I'm in Florida um, doing school. Uh, we both kind of decided, you know let's, let's move together. Let's, let's get this started together. And so we found a way to make it work to get her to Florida, which I'm so happy about. I think if we tried to stay apart for, you know, a year or two, we would have been fine, but what a waste, you know, to, um, yeah. to, if you have the opportunity at all possible to be together during that moment, to not do it. So we did. And I'm really happy that that happened. Right. So, uh, I finished school, um, get a great job in uh, Missouri and it was, the month before I was supposed to take my, uh, final exam, the big one that like, if you fail this, you're toast, you know, kind of thing. So study, study, study. Um, the Kim was in the shower, felt a lump. Actually, no, I was, I was in the shower with her. <laughs> I felt a lump and I said, that's weird. Something's not right. And she checked on it further. Um, and just a little aside for women, young, healthy women, a mammogram often won't catch cancer. So Kim went to her doctor she's great about, um, you know, her health. She's, she's the reason she's still alive today is that she was so adamant about something's not right. You know, I need to get this looked at because she went to her primary care doctor. They said, you're young. Don't worry about it. She said, let me just get a mammogram anyways. They said, okay, you know, you got to pay for it. It'll be 500 bucks, but it, you know, go for it. 
did the mammogram, inconclusive, didn't show anything. She said, uh, something's still not right. And so uh, I'm studying, I'm studying, I'm doing my thing. You know, I actually said, I was like, look, you're being crazy. You're fine. Don't worry about it. Well, I'm never going to live that one down because <laughs> I was not correct. And so uh, she then uh, did an ultrasound of the area, which showed something a little more conclusive. Something's not right. And then finally a biopsy confirmed that um, there was cancer there. And so uh, she had a weird kind of cancer because often in very young women, it's aggressive, really horrible, often very, very difficult to treat uh, her cancer. I mean, no cancer is good, but she had one of the better kinds that was very treatable, a little bit slower growing. And, uh, you know, she didn't need to have like a full mastectomy, any of that, um, didn't need to have chemotherapy. We had a lot of conversations about that. And a lot of that was about, uh, being able to have children because it's much, much harder after you've had chemotherapy to have a child. And we knew at that point, all right, we definitely really want to have kids and, uh, you know, that would really harm our chances to do it. So let's, um, let's forego that. So, yeah. She's seven years, something like that, clean from cancer, doing great. Um, God is good. Thank you for yeah. watching out for her. <laughs> that's, Definitely. that's been amazing. And um, uh, so that that was a really tough thing. Um, I'm, you know, trying to take this exam and, you know, kind of focus on school. And right. all I can think about is, is her and her health and all that. Um, but we got through it. And... Um, she did a bunch of research. Kim is a uh, very determined, very smart woman, um, did a deep dive into all the health around it and found a bunch of studies showing that your risk of cancer recurrence is not any higher with her specific type of cancer and, and all that. Um, if you have a child, you take a break from the medications and then go back on them. Um, and so brought that evidence to her doctor who said, do you want to do this job? Cause <laughs> that's you know, good for you. Um, yeah, you know, you've got great evidence here. Let, let's talk about it. And so we figured out a plan for it. Um, we took about six months where we said, okay, no medications, none of the cancer stuff. Cause you can't have a baby when you're on that stuff. It's uh, severely teratogenic. It can harm the baby. And so got off of that. We were good to go, pulled the goalie, all that stuff. And, um, uh, Kim was supposed to take a trip to Cuba. That was the plan. And so, um, uh, dads, if you, uh, if you want to get pregnant and you're struggling, uh, plan an amazing trip to a place that you won't be able to go to soon because it's literally embargoed and <clears throat> you will get pregnant. And of course, Cuba has a Zika problem, so you can't go there if you're pregnant. <laughs> and so she had to cancel her amazing once in a lifetime trip to Cuba. Um, and <laughs> you know what? We, we wouldn't trade Lucas for anything, so it was definitely worth it. But that's that's how you have a baby is you make sure that you have something you're going to miss. <laughs> You get pregnant. It's like Murphy's, Murphy's law. law. Murphy's law. Every yeah, time. you're like tempting it. Yeah. So I, uh, not to, not to make light of the situation, but I, I I got two key takeaways from uh, from what you were just describing there. Number one is husbands feel your wife's breast consistently to make sure they don't have cancer. Um, Amen. So it's for her health. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Number two is to this is actually kind of serious is to um, do your own research, arm yourself with information. Um, because sometimes, you know, doctors, maybe they're overwhelmed or they dismiss it, whatever people make mistakes, like you need to kind of advocate for yourself. So it sounds like Kim is very like, no, something's not right. I know it. And I, I have a family member actually had a very similar experience. They, they ended up having a massive tumor in their like abdomen and numerous doctors like, you're fine. It's nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. And then finally one doctor was like, I believe you let's, let's find out. And it was like a volleyball size tumor. It was insane. So great things happen. But anyway. We'll, uh, we'll move on from that, but so clearly you guys get pregnant 
and you've overcome some serious health issues with that, and there's a lot to consider, which kind of adds to the stress of it all. So I guess walk us through that process because I think most people don't really – I, I don't know about most people, but a lot of people don't have that experience. I certainly didn't, right? Um, so I'm curious to learn how much more intentionally you need to be about things and just any advice along the way for, for you know couples that are struggling with um, any medical concerns. Yeah. Uh, so as far as – Again, with the type of cancer that she had, uh, we didn't have to do any kind of fertility treatments um, because uh, breast cancer is estrogen receptor positive. <coughs> excuse me. The last thing you want to do is pump your body full of estrogen hormones, which is what we use to you know help with with pregnancy, um, because it would increase your risk of cancer recurrence. So, first thing first, you know, try to do it the old fashioned way. Um, the other thing is, uh, thanks Lance Armstrong for helping us pay for that. We froze a bunch of her eggs. Um, in case it didn't work the old fashioned way, we were going to, you know, try some other things. Um, didn't have to do that, but uh, you know, it would be an option there. So those eggs are still frozen. So who knows <laughs> for future babies, we may end up going that route. Um, and the miracles of modern science, it's, it's really pretty amazing stuff. Uh, but you know, as far as day-to-day -day health concerns, um, there's a couple things that strongly increase your risk of breast cancer as a woman. Uh, one's going to be, um, consuming significant amounts of alcohol. Uh, it's a huge problem, especially if you've already had breast cancer. Um, I hate to be, you know, kind of a Debbie Downer about that, but it's really not a great idea to drink a lot. Um, so that is something, you know, we've tried to cut back on for sure. And, uh, you know, you know that your body is at risk for this kind of thing in the future. So you want to do your best to take care of your health as, as well as possible. Um, you know, keep your weight in a good position, focus on your diet a little more. Uh, you know, maybe it's a wake up call. Maybe it's, um, you know, someone telling you, Hey, you got to fix the way you're taking care of yourself right now, because the way you're eating and the way you're not moving and all these things might be the reason that this happened. And, um, and again, you, you never want to blame someone for getting cancer. It's, it's not, you know, that their mm -hmm. fault, but, but there are proven links between certain types of behavior and an increased risk of cancer. So you've already had it. You want to make sure to reduce those risks, you know, yeah, by taking mitigate, care of yourself mitigate yeah. where possible. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, those were definitely things we kept in mind and uh, we're both a little more motivated to take care of ourselves and be as healthy right. as possible because we're both older parents. And we want to be there for our kids. We want to be there for our grandkids. And, uh, you know, that's part of, uh, what we do as dads is we've kind of agreed to take care of ourselves, so that we'll be there to take care of, you know, our future generations and yeah, as moms, definitely. it's the same way. So I think that was a big factor in, uh, you know, how we've approached our lives and our health, uh, you know, since, since that whole situation. Yeah. So how did the pregnancy go? Was it relatively normal then? <laughs> <laughs> or like, I know the birth, not so much, but so yeah. I, this is, this is again, another topic that I think a lot of, um, especially like dads, I think don't talk about this often. And yeah. I think it's, uh, maybe more frequent have, you know, having scares with, um, birth <laughs> and, uh, I mean, yeah. So I, I know you have a lot of personal experience in that. And so if you're willing to share, I think that'd be a good, uh, you know, thing to share now. <laughs> so dads, it's, it's normal to be afraid. It's normal to cry. It's normal to feel the feelings. Um, I've uh, done the anesthesia for thousands of, of moms and a lot of the dads cry. Um, uh, a lot of them panic, you know, like, there's a lot of emotions. First time dads, usually the veterans that have done it, you know, three, four times, it's not quite as bad, but it's a lot of emotions. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of fear. Um, just focus on being there for your wife. 
you know, that's, um, that's what you're there for. Um, and of course, you know, be there for your, your newborn and all that. Um, it's funny though. I mean, having done thousands of these when it's your own baby, it's different, right? So I was just as scared as any dad when, when we had a pregnancy that was, that was going, um, you know, pretty badly at one point. So, uh, Kim's pregnancy was relatively normal. Um, she was sick, lost some weight, you know, kind of the usual stuff that happens. Uh, but it, it went pretty well, all things considered. Uh, and then, uh, went to full term. And so they induced her labor and said, we don't want to wait too long. You're a geriatric mom. <laughs> That's the worst term ever. So if you're over, over 35 as a mom, they call you geriatric, which they need to change. That's horrible. <laughs> you know, I'm sure some women have just walked out of the doctor's office, just disgusted. I'm not geriatric, you know, I'm 36. Uh, but so because of that, they induced the pregnancy and, uh, she pushed for about 36 hours. She tried her best. We did every position possible, you know, and he, he just didn't, um, you know, didn't want to come out that way, unfortunately. So, uh, he had some problems with his heart rate. Um, and, uh, later we found out that, um, my wife had a placental abruption, which can be lethal, um, to the mom and the, the baby. So it was, a um, immediate stat, you know, kind of situation, like get him into the operating room and, um, take care of him ASAP. Uh, I watched my, uh, my wife turn gray. Uh, my son was purple for what felt like an hour. It was probably two minutes, but still, you know, I was thinking, okay, there's going to be brain damage. There's going to be issues. This is, you know, this is not great. Um, thankfully we were at a great hospital that was used to taking care of moms, uh, in, you know, very dire straits like this. Uh, the neonatal team jumped in and, uh, helped out and, uh, he was pretty sick for about a month. There were some challenges afterwards, low blood sugars, temperatures weren't high enough, you know, things like that, but we didn't actually need to be in the NICU. The, uh, the standard kind of parent area had access to, um, NG feeding tubes. So he actually, uh, was fed through his nose for the first couple of weeks. Was it maybe the first week? It wasn't quite that long. Um, but, uh, so, you know, some pretty advanced interventions that we were able to do, uh, even not in the NICU. Um, my wife lost, like all of her blood <laughs> it was just gone. <laughs> so I'm just, I mean, when you see those bright red canisters fill up with just, which is blood, doesn't matter how many times you've seen it when it's your wife, you're not happy. <laughs> I was not in a good place at that point. Yeah. Um, but I also Scary, recognize man. all the alarms are going off. Like it, it's a different kind of intense when it it's, is. when it's your flesh and blood, you know, yeah. on the table. Yeah. 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 And, and so, uh, I, I knew that she was going to be okay because I knew the team and I knew that, you know, they, they knew how to take care of her and, um, she pulled through and she did great, but, uh, it was definitely, it was a scary, uh, scary birth. Um, and Lucas is totally normal. Nothing wrong with him. Kids are incredibly resilient. It's amazing how often, you know, a doctor will have to be as candid with, with a mom as possible and say, your baby's probably not going to be normal. Uh, my, my twin cousins, same way were 23 weeks. They were ridiculously early, set the record for twins in the state of Michigan and were told you're not going to be normal. You know, they might die in a couple of years, uh, you know, prepare yourself for that. And of course now, um, Ted's going to be a, a flight attendant and Nixa Marine. I mean, they're just, they're amazing kids, nothing wrong with them, you know, so have hope and, uh, you know, don't give up because so many kids quote unquote beat the odds and it's, it's awesome to see that. So, uh, so it was challenging, uh, but the outcome was incredible, you know, with, with the way everything went down. And one thing yeah. I would say is if you're a first time mom, maybe don't do a home birth. I know it's a great experience and like, it's great for a lot of people and all that, but maybe don't do a home birth. If you're, if you've had six and it's your seventh one, go do it at home, do your thing. You're a pro you're, you're good. But, uh, 
um, my wife and my son would not be here today if we were not at a hospital. Uh, so if you have access to a nice hospital, it's, you know, the beds are uncomfortable. It's expensive. It sucks, <laughs> but, but go to the hospital because they will save your life if anything goes wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had, we tried a home birth and had to transfer to the hospital. It was, it got a little scary. So yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'd agree with that, <laughs> that sentiment. Um, yeah. Were any, any like real stark lessons from, from that scary experience that, you know, have still really stuck with you and maybe shape how you show up as a husband and father today, before we kind of just move on from that. My wife was so sick for probably a month that I was the primary caretaker for my son. Um, and if I hadn't taken some paternal leave, I don't know, you know, who would have, I mean, maybe her parents would have helped out, but it's, it's not the same. So it, in a lot of ways, I got really close to my son really early and it took my wife a little while. She's his favorite now. You know, she always, he's the one, you know, mom, read me bedtime stories. I don't want dad, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, they're, they're best friends. It's wonderful. But the, the first couple of months, it took him a little bit of time. I think there was a little bit of anger and that's a totally normal, healthy thing. You know, if you're a mom and you feel like you're a little bit angry at your child because they did this to you, you know, he almost killed her. It's not rational, but it is normal. Um, and so she jokes and she said she didn't have well, postpartum. There's also the dump of all, you know, all the endorphins and all that kind of stuff is completely just, it's gone now. Like there's a crash hormonally yeah. that happens as well. And hers didn't manifest as sadness. It manifested as anger. And I don't think that's super abnormal. She laughed and she said, I had postpartum rage <laughs> you know, afterwards. And, uh, you know, be, be patient with that. You know, know as a dad that it's very normal for your wife to have some really intense emotions. And if she says some stuff that is mean, be patient, understand that that's, that's a really tough thing. She literally just had a baby for you. So give her some grace, you know, and, uh, that, that was a really key element was that, uh, we learned how to handle some difficult situations there. And I think I, again, was a little bit older, had the emotional maturity to, yeah. um, to shrug that off as needed and say, Hey, you know, that's not a nice thing to say, but you know, I forgive you and let's, let's move on, you know, kind of thing versus some dads, maybe lack of sleep, you know, just not doing well, would just lose it and say, I can't believe you just said that to me. You're the worst. And you know, some, some stuff can't be unsaid. So just know that there's a good chance that your wife might say something horrible to you a couple times, you know, after, <laughs> after you have the baby and that's okay. It's very normal. Try to be forgiving and um, try to be understanding and, and wives, same thing. Maybe your husband's on four hours of sleep over a week. I know you know what that's like, Justin, maybe he's a little sharp with you and says something he's going to regret later. Be patient and recognize that, it is very normal from lack of sleep and not feeling well to have those challenges. Yeah. But uh, I'm very grateful that I got to take care of my son like that. Uh, there were mm -hmm. some things that weren't being done quite ideally for his care. And so I was able to fix that. Um, and, uh, and there's nothing that feels better than being as, as a dad, knowing you optimized and really helped your, your child do better for life. And maybe you had a special set of skills, <laughs> you know, as Liam Neeson would say that, that allowed you to do that. I mean, that's, that's a level up. That's an incredible feeling. Um, so Just being to clarify, able to clarify yours didn't involve tracking down people across the world though. Right. You know, we, we can skip that part. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's fine. That's, it's that's for another story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's classified. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I got to be there for my son and it, it made us really close and it made me appreciate more having him, you know, knowing, um, that he might be our only one and that, uh, you know, he's, he's my only shot. I better take good care of him. <laughs> he's yeah. my legacy. Did you guys have, um, like a lot of family help at this time too, or was it kind of just you and Kim? 
So part of the reason like- we moved back to Florida was that we did not. Um, we had family that was lovely and flew in and came to see us um, from Michigan and Florida and Georgia and you know kind of all over. But it's not the same as having someone down the street. And uh, when I had the opportunity to um, come back to a place that I consider home or, or close to it, I, I grew up um, maybe an hour from where I'm living now. And so there's just something about the same trees and the same, you know, kind of air and all that. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but when you grew up in a certain place that that's always going to feel like home, you know, if you grew up in the mountains, if you go back to the mountains, it's going to feel like home. And for me, I grew up on the beach. And so when I go to the beach, I'm literally instantly at peace. It's amazing. You know, just by that. Whereas other people, Mm -hmm. Kim's not, she likes the beach, but it's not like, oh my God, this is my happy place. You know, like it is for me. I just, I get there and I'm just, wow. Thank you. I'm so glad that I'm here. It's, it's really, it's interesting. So, uh, that's, that's a big part of why we came back to Florida was for family and for that support and, and to make sure that, um, my mom would be able to spend more time with my son, uh, we knew that Kim's parents were closer and they ended up moving down pretty soon after. And so they live in the same neighborhood as we do, which I thought was going to be a little weird at first, but I absolutely love it. It's wonderful having them around. Uh, they're just a huge asset. And, uh, you know, that was a big part of what motivated us to, to do it. So if yeah. you can, you know, as Americans, I think we talk about it's, you know, career first, whatever it takes to make the most money and have the most successful career. And I'm learning that I think that's a mistake for a lot of us that yes, if you leave your town where your family is, you might make more money, you might have some more opportunities. Uh, but consider the possibility that living closer to where your family is, uh, might bring you a lot more joy and happiness. And maybe having three kids with no family around is is pretty tough. And if you are able to have some family that can help you out, if that means you won't make as much money, uh, that might be okay. I don't know. I, I've seen more and more people who have kind of structured their lives around what's going to be best for their kids, what's going to make the most sense from a yeah. community perspective. And I think more of us need to do that. And so I, um, you know, I, I love my job. I love my friends up there. It was a great area, but I don't regret this at all. I think having family around has made our lives yeah. significantly better. I agree. That's nice. a, it's a wise word. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's super agree. important. Uh, the reason being is there was a recent study uh, that was talking about how that your your social life affects your health in such a detrimental way. Like if you don't have a social life, it's like the equivalent of smoking 12 cigarettes a day to your physical health over long term. Like this is a legitimate study that just recently released. And it's like that just tells us how much tribal we are at heart. Right. We have to have our community. We have to have our people. And and it's it's so good to hear how great your mom was just such a good mother. So, you know, talking about that and you you talked to how she moved down there. How good of a grandmother is she to Lucas? I I just imagine like an angel, right? They are thick. No, they're thick as thieves. She teaches them all these bad habits. She, (laughs) she calls him, uh, he calls her Gigi. And so anytime I mention Gigi, he gets his eyes lit up and he's so excited. He can't wait to see her. Uh, they just have a really special bond and relationship. It's really fun to see. I was a lot like that with my grandmother. Um, Mm. She taught me a lot of things. My mom was kind of a hippie. My grandmother was the matriarch of the family. She was like the, the queen Elizabeth, you know, who taught me, I had terrible table manners and my mom wasn't really worried about it. So my grandmother set me in front of a mirror and made me watch myself. And for like two hours, it was like, you're going to learn how to eat properly at a table. And you know, a lot of this stuff. So, uh, and now my mom gets to be that person who passes on kind of some of that old school wisdom uh, that 
we don't necessarily have. And he'll listen to her just, I mean, she'll tell these stories and his eyes, I mean, just focus wrapped, you know, like, uh, grandparents are so valuable. They just have this Mm. knowledge that we don't have, you know, I mean, that's, that's how communities learned back in the day, right before we had writing and all that was we told stories by the fire and our grandparents were so valuable because they were the only ones who knew about those way back times. And they were the ones who had passed that knowledge on. We still have that, that connection there. It's, um, it's really fun to see them together. Just, I can see the neurons in his brain just connecting. (laughs) His brain is getting so big. Yeah. And he's four, right? At the time of this recording, uh, he'll be four in a month. Okay. So he's almost four. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Still, still very much developing rapidly. Yeah. He's this mini. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and uh, another plus of moving to where you moved is uh, you guys get to watch SpaceX launch off everything like every single day of your life. And uh, so jealous. That, that's a pretty cool place to raise a little boy and, and watch rockets all the time. That was so amazing last night. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was like a jellyfish alien leaving the sky. I've never that seen anything new, like that. That was the new big Starship one, right? Just, this I was think the a lot of people Falcon maybe didn't Heavy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So and, the Falcon and then, like, 9's the a regular rocket. Came back down and landed, type of thing, and. So I need to look it up. I don't know. I need to research this a little more because I don't know exactly what I was looking at. I posted it and I was like, this is like stage separation. I had some actual like rocket scientists who were like, that's not what that is. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, thanks. What is it? They didn't respond. Just, oh, man. So I, I, I don't know. It's, I'm not it a rocket scientist. It looked really cool. That's all was, that matters. Yeah, exactly. There's like um, two places in America you can live and watch rockets frequently and you live by one of them, right? So that's, I think, is it even two? <laughs> I don't even know. Uh, well, so you've got Texas. And okay. you've got California, yeah. but they launch like 20%. Is like all, all the launches are happening in Florida. Like yeah. It's definitely. So, fun. yeah, you, you definitely live in a pretty good spot for that. I'm sure uh, that, that's pretty easy entertainment for uh, an almost four-year-old boy. Just, hey, let's go outside and watch the rocket. Yeah. Oh, he loves it. And I, I really yeah. hope he gets into that kind of stuff. And there's um, one thing about schools that like keep things a little bit more local, which is cool, is uh, there's a lot of um, emphasis on STEM in this area. Uh, because mm-hmm. there's so many jobs available for rocket scientists and people in the military and you know all that kind of stuff. So my hope is that he will gravitate towards that a little bit and, um, you know, maybe look into, you know, some of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, so Lucas, if you're listening to this in uh, 20 years and you're a rocket scientist, thanks buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good go. job. Astronaut. So you can live vicariously through him. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to be too tall to be an astronaut. That's not going to work. So yeah. he's got to be the Probably. scientist behind it. Yeah. He's a, he's a big kid already. So. He's beefy. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Dustin, thanks for walking through your story so far. We're going to break here. Uh, for part one and we'll come back for part two and we'll dive into a little bit more of lessons learned and advice and some things like that all right dun 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 yep here we go (laughs) thanks for tuning in to this episode of the present fathers podcast make sure that you subscribe to our youtube channel and follow us on spotify to catch all of our amazing episodes we will see you in the next one